All right, there's Pastor Dale. All right, so we can get started. So um, thank you, everybody, for being here. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming out to Prayer and Healing, uh, Prayer and Healing School. More folks walking in. You didn't miss anything. Uh, my name is Byron Howell. I am a licensed minister at Grace Family Church. I'm not a pastor. I don't work at the church. I'm a lawyer. And, uh, you know, the views expressed tonight are my own. So if you don't like anything I have to say or don't agree, that's totally cool. It's totally understandable. Please don't call Pastor Craig. You can yell at Pastor Dale. And that's, uh, that, that's really the right thing to do. Um, let me just see what else I've got here. So it's echoing. Daniel. So let's see if we can uh, get this echo. Okay, it's it's your fault. You're at the back table. You should come closer. Mom, what do you think? Is it okay? You think it's a little better? Up front, everybody's good up front? Okay, alright. Unfortunately, we're recording, so, you know, if you miss anything. Alright, so, um, like I said, thank you so much for being a parent in school. Uh, for those of you that might be your first time, uh, this is our third semester, and it's been awesome. You know, and it's, it's been awesome for a lot of reasons, but just in short, you know, God put on Pastor Dale Brooks and Pastor Doug Hendricks, He put on their heart to create these meetings where we can come, we can learn about healing, we can learn about the kingdom of God, and we can learn about the ministry of the Holy Spirit all in this in this environment. This environment where we're going to learn together, we're going to grow together. And then they brought Rasan. Rasan has just an amazing ministry, amazing ministry, and understanding of the things of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's really, it's really, at least to me, it's been a tremendous blessing. And, and they didn't ask me to, to come or join with them or anything. My mom's actually friends with Pastor Doug's wife, Marilyn. And Marilyn told my mom that they were doing this. And I didn't even really know Pastor Dale and barely knew Pastor Doug. And I thought, well, hey, you know, that sounds, that sounds pretty good. That's where I'm going to go just because I want to be in the environment where they're talking about faith and they're talking about healing. And I've been just extraordinarily blessed, extraordinarily blessed with opportunities to share, but just extraordinarily blessed by the leadership and the table leaders and it's just been a wonderful experience. So just again, if you're a first-time visitor, we kind of do two things. We, uh, we really talk about healing a lot. We want to give you a lot of the verses and a lot of the doctrine and the understanding. So you really have it for yourself. So you understand healing from a biblical point of view for yourself. But uh, we also then we want to give uh, an opportunity for you to receive prayer. If anybody here tonight... Uh, wants prayer, we'll, uh, we'll have time at the end where anybody who wants prayer can receive prayer. And, you know, the other thing we want to do for those of you that maybe don't have a physical need or you don't really need prayer for anything right this second is we really want to learn and we want to mature and we want to grow, uh, obviously, in some of these areas like healing and faith and the Holy Spirit. But so really, you know, there's really something good for everybody here. So just to go through it again, uh, that's really just our focus is here. And at least for me, it's been a big blessing. And so I'm, I'm really excited to be back and have an opportunity to share. Uh, just briefly, uh, I've been blessed to do a, a few different things at Grace Family Church, teach different classes over the years. But what happened a few years ago is, is my wife, who's here with us tonight, Shannon, uh, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. 
And so what that did for us is, is she was, the, her diagnosis was terminal, single digit years to live, and she would be on chemotherapy for the rest of her life. And so that, that was her diagnosis. So we realized that, that we had no hope in the conventional world that we had to go to God to get the solution to this. And so we pressed in like never before. I had actually preached a couple days before her diagnosis on divine healing at Grace Family Church with Pastor Fritz at a prayer and worship night. So we knew a lot. We had a good foundation, but we did not know some of the most essential parts of the healing doctrine. And, you know, today it's three years later. She's almost two years off of chemo, any conventional treatments of any kind, totally healed, totally cancer-free. And we did, you know, we did the uh, spiritual, the conventional, the naturopathic. We did it all. So this is not the anti-doctor message. This is nothing like that. This is you get with God and you do what you need to do and let the Holy Spirit work with you for your healing path. And that's really what it's all about because God's primary doctrine is healing. That's the most important thing. So anyway, you know, God really led us during that time. And we, we were in the Word every single day, listening to teaching every single night, and just hitting it hard like never before. And God brought us the understanding to get us through that situation. And now, uh, through this and through other means, God's given us opportunities to share what we've learned with others. So I get to speak with you, hey guys, uh, this week and next week. And so this week, we are going to talk about healing in general, just understanding from the Word of God that God's will is your healing. And then we're going to look at the arguments against healing. And I don't think we've done that before at Prairie Healing School, but, you know, to really understand it for ourselves, I think it's a great thing to do. And they're, they're complicated and they're controversial and they've been arguments for hundreds of years. But, but I actually think you're going to come away tonight with, with some really good tools to help you answer those arguments and help you understand for yourself that no, despite those arguments and the many, many people that, that believe them, no, in fact, God's will for me is healing. And so it's awesome that, you know, we're starting this apologetics uh, course at the, at the big house, at the regular church, and that's going to be great. Highly encourage everybody to go to all those meetings. And we're going to do a little healing apologetics here. And we're really going to get it, get it, get it solid in ourselves and in our minds about healing. And you know, and what I love about this is I am fully persuaded that God wants you healed. See, that's what it does for me. I know God wants me healed, and I also know God wants you healed. Every single person on planet Earth, that's what God wants. That healing is God's will for every single person on earth. And I know that's a radical statement. And a lot of people don't believe that. But that's the biblical truth. And that's what we're going to see in the Word of God. So we're going to look at a lot of scriptures tonight. Because uh, that's the right thing to do. And, and the only way we're going to get this through, the, through the, get through this all is if I keep it calm and steady. And we just plow through it. But really, most importantly, I want to let the scriptures speak for themselves. And I'm going to offer commentary just to give everything context and keep us moving. But please, even though I'm reading scripture, try to pay attention, close attention 
to what the Word of God actually says. Because the Word of God is the incorruptible seed. That's what goes into our heart. That's what renovates our minds. And that's what points us in the right direction for any subject, but especially the subject of healing, which is a difficult, complicated, controversial subject. So let's start in Exodus 15, 26. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Literally in the Hebrew, it is Jehovah Rapha Rapha. You probably heard it just as Jehovah Rapha. Why it got shortened, I have no idea, but it's For our purposes, we'll just say Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. God literally calling himself the God who heals. Exodus 23, 25 through 26. Now, one thing that's interesting to note is these are the first words from God to the Israelites after they cross the Red Sea. Worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I take this as the clearest statement of God's will for our physical lives. He is going to watch over us in the womb from conception all the way to the end of a sickness free full lifespan. That's what Jehovah Rapha wants for his people. Now look at Malachi 3.6. I, the Lord, do not change. That's an extremely important idea when we study God. Jehovah Rapha has been the God who heals uh, for, for time immemorial. And he always will be the God who heals. So that's the only, those are the only Old Testament verses we're going to look at tonight. So now let's move into the New Testament. And and what we're going to see in the ministry of Jesus, the Son of God. And let's look at John 10, 30, Jesus speaking. He says, the Father and I are one. Colossians 1, 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1, 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So notice the relationship between Jesus and God, right? Jesus is the exact representation of Jehovah Rapha. So what is the exact representation of Jehovah Rapha going to do in his earthly ministry? Let's look at that. So we'll start with John 10, 10. This is Jesus speaking. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So Jesus came that we might have life. And yes, he's talking about eternal life, of course, but he's also very interested in our physical and our earthly lives. And let's see that now. This is Matthew 8, 14 through 17. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed, were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Now let's look at Matthew 4, 23-24. 
Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria. And people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed, or epileptic, or paralyzed, he healed them all. You see, it's no surprise when we understand that Jesus is the exact representation of Jehovah Rapha, that in the earthly ministry of Jesus, he would go about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. That's exactly what we would expect to see, and that's exactly what we do see. Now, remember, I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13, 8 tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that's how Jesus feels about healing. So we know that Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry, was going to come to an end through his death and resurrection and ultimate ascension back into heaven. But let's see what Jesus did about his healing ministry when it comes to how it was going to be carried on with his disciples. This is Mark 16, 15 through 20. And I would only note that these are the last words from Jesus to the apostles before he went back to heaven as it is recorded in the book of Mark. The same conversation is actually recorded in a few places, but this is what we get from this conversation in the book of Mark. And Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Acts chapter 5, not long after that. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Now let's look at Acts 28 verses 1 and then 7 through 9. And I would note that this is 25 to 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is Paul on the island of Malta. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed on his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. So there are many, many, many verses in the Old Testament and New Testament that we could look at in addition to these. There's all sorts of doctrinal points about fulfillment of, prophet, of prophecy and obtaining the promises. And all of those are wonderful, important things that we do talk about here from time to time. But for me, these verses are enough. 
These verses establish that God calls himself the God who heals. And there is an unbroken relationship between God and man for millennia where the healing power of God is made available to humanity and every single person that comes to God for healing receives. That's the biblical truth. That is the reality. And notice, who were the people when we saw in Matthew, all of those people coming around to heal Jesus? They weren't all Christians. None of them was a Christian. Nobody was a Christian. Jesus hadn't died and and rose again yet. And look at those people on, on the island of Malta. They weren't Christians. They were islanders or they were Roman officials. They were most likely devil worshipers. And they all got healed. It doesn't say they all got born again first. It doesn't say Publius's father got born again first. It doesn't say they were perfected, they were matured, that they sanctified themselves, they prostrated themselves, they did anything. No, it just says they got healed. You see, but it's no surprise when you understand that God is in fact the God who heals, that He sees Himself and calls Himself the God who heals It's no surprise that that's what we see in the Bible. Everybody coming to God for healing, getting healed. And He does not change. You see, the healing power of God was available to all those people in Israel. It was available to all those people on the island of Malta. And it's available to everybody in the city of Tampa. It's available to everybody worldwide. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the biblical truth. But you see, if that wasn't enough, think of this. Every single Christian is called into God's healing ministry. What did Jesus say? He said, these signs shall follow them that believe. Pastor Dale's in. But every single Christian, every single believer is called into God's healing ministry alongside Him. That's how God really feels about healing. His healing power is available for everyone, and every one of His children is supposed to be walking ambassadors for Jehovah Rapha in the earth. Remember, Pastor Dale taught us last week in a shocking statement, he read from a book, that we are extensions of the Trinity. We are, in fact, also... Extensions of Jehovah Rapha. That's how God really feels about healing. That's how He feels about your healing. There is no doubt. But unfortunately, there are a variety of arguments against healing. And some of them you may have heard, and some of them you haven't. They've been debated for years, but we're going to look at it tonight anyway. And I just want to say that... uh, There's a variety of different ways that you can look at arguments against the Bible. That you can look at arguments against different beliefs. And there's even different ways you can approach apologetics. But for me, I want to stick close to the Word of God. I don't want to go out to philosophy. I don't want to go to science. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I believe that we can find our answers in the Word of God to these arguments, which have been very persuasive against healing. So, the first argument against healing we're going to look at tonight 
is that it cannot be God's will to heal everyone, for there are lots of sick people in the world today. And there is no argument against that. There are many, many sick people in the world today, and there were many, many sick people in the world during the earthly ministry of Jesus and throughout the Bible. So therefore, it cannot be God's will to heal everyone. So let's look at a few verses and see what we can learn. Romans 5.12 Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So this is one verse where we get this idea of original sin. That because Adam fell in the garden, sin and death was then transferred to all successive humanity. Next verse is Romans 8, 19 through 21. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So just very simply... In the fall, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam fell, when he bowed the knee to Satan, the curse and sin and death and decay came on all of creation, including our physical bodies. This is why there's sickness. This is why there's death. This is why the animals kill each other. This is why there's all sorts of terrible physical things in the earth today. But let's, let's keep going. So even though sin and death have passed to all men because of sin, what does God want for us? Why did He send Jesus? 1 Timothy 2, 3-4 This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So God's will for everyone is that we would be saved and we would come to a knowledge of the truth, we would receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we become the sons of God. That is God's will for every single human, that we would get saved. But why isn't every human saved? 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4 If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So on the one hand, we have God wanting everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. But on the other hand, we have Satan blinding the minds of those who don't believe. The Bible says that he is the God of this word, the world. The word world there is eon, which means very specifically period of time. Satan is, in fact, the ruler of this period of time. And, and not to go too far down this road, but we have been in one unbroken eon or period of time from the fall of man that will go all the way until the return of Christ. And Satan rules this period of time. And that's very hard for us to accept when we know that, that God is the ruler overall, God rules heaven, and so forth. But in fact, there are different realms of authority, and the Bible tells us very clearly that Satan is the ruler of this period of time. 
And this is 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4. This is after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the period of time we're in right now. So the devil is fighting against God's will to have everyone saved. But it's even worse than that. Listen to this. This is Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So consider what we've looked at. This is not the most exciting thing you've ever heard. The devil, in fact, is the ruler of this time, period of time. In fact, he is blinding the minds of people away from salvation. And in fact, he is at work in the hearts of people who refuse to obey God. You see, this is reality. This is why there is so much sickness, war, poverty, you know, uh, thievery. Uh, murder, death, all of the terrible things that we see in reality, they are not God's will. They are the devil's will. Jesus came that we might have life life more abundantly. The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So this is why we see all of reality have so many problems. Not because it's God's mysterious and unknowable will. It's the devil's will, and they are in constant opposition. You see... God wants everyone saved, but everyone's not saved. Salvation is not automatic, but it's available. And the same is true for healing. God wants everyone healed, but everyone is not healed. Healing is not automatic, but it's available. And so think back to the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of the apostles. It wasn't that all of a sudden every single person on planet Earth got healed. Healing wasn't automatic. It was available. The people that got healed were the people that came to Jesus. That came to the apostles. Those are the ones that got healed. And this is a striking truth. The Bible teaches us. And we're going to look at this very mechanically next week. How the healing power of God will flow in your physical body. It doesn't just flow however you want. There are very specific mechanisms To understand how the healing power of God will flow into your physical body. Obviously, one of those was going to Jesus. Touching Jesus. Asking Jesus. And there are other ways as well. But the key point is, why is there so much sickness in the earth? Why are there so many terrible things in the earth? It's because the God of this world, Satan, is doing terrible things all throughout the world. And what God wants for people, salvation, healing, prosperity, blessing, family relationships, all the good things that God has for us, unfortunately, and I wish they were automatic, but they are not automatic, but they are available. So the next, next argument, the doctrine that miracles have passed away. Now, this will take two forms. We're going to discuss both of them. But the first one is that miracles have passed away when the New Testament was finalized. Sometimes you may hear that miracles passed away when the Bible was finalized, but very specifically, it's the New Testament. So uh, to make that argument, they rely on 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 12. 
Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now I know that's a long passage and that's a mouthful. But notice it says, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. This is the NIV. I should have given you a different version. But in the King James, it says, but when that which is perfect is come. And in the New Living, it says, but when the time of perfection comes. That word perfect being repeated there. Regardless, this is what people used to say. That miracles have passed away. That the word of God is complete. It is perfect. And when the word of God came and was finalized. You know exactly what moment that was. I don't know. When they put the last period on the piece of paper. At one of the councils when the books were assembled. I I don't know that answer. But at some point God considered it finalized. That which was complete or perfect had come. And that which is in part has disappeared. Now, you're probably thinking, wow, Byron, that's kind of a stretch to take that and think that miracles passed away from that. And and I would agree with you. I think that's a monster leap, but this is a very widely held belief, surprisingly enough. So let's look at the text and see if we can uh, see any problems with that. First of all, let's notice that it says... Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. I just want to point out that that doesn't say anything about healing or miracles. So to assume that that means that healing and miracles have also passed away, we would have to read that into the text. That's a pretty extraordinary addition to that text. It does not say that healing and miracles have passed away anywhere in this passage. The next thing I would notice is it says, where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And then as we go on and it says, it says, what is in part disappears when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. So are we in a period of time where knowledge has disappeared or passed away? No. I don't think anybody could make a reasonable argument that that we're in that period of time. Certainly there are hundreds, if not thousands of verses in the Bible that talk about the importance of knowledge. There's no argument that we are in fact in that period of time when knowledge has passed away. So it would be very difficult to then say that we're in the period of time when prophecies have ceased and tongues would be still. So... You know, I think that it'd be very difficult for us to say exactly what this is pointing to. The time when completeness comes. But notice the last section, or the last sentence. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And I just, this verse jumps out to me. This is 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, 
But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. You see, I believe the obvious uh, statement here is that it's referring to when Christ, the perfection, the spotless Lamb of God, when He comes. Because the Bible tells us when He comes, then we will know as we are fully known. And then really all revelation will be upon us. It will be that time where we know everything we need to know by the Spirit of God. Christ is here. We know everything. And the time of completeness at that point will truly have come. I think that's the most likely understanding of what this verse is actually referring to. But again, even if you don't want to necessarily go that far, it would be difficult to say that we are in a period of time where knowledge has passed away or that, um, you know, saying that miracles and healing is lumped into this period of time where prophecies have ceased, tongues stilled, and so on. So anyway, I think that's a tough argument to really stand on for the proposition that there's no more healing or miracles. But the next way that this, this argument shows up is they say that, okay, it's not about the Word of God being completed, but rather healing and miracles died away with the last apostle. And here's the idea behind that. In Acts chapter 8, when the Samaritans were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit through Peter and John. In Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius and the Gentiles received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they received it directly from Peter's ministry. And in Acts chapter 19, when the Ephesians received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they were receiving directly from Paul. So the argument is that healing and miracles only come through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the only way you can get the baptism of the Holy Spirit is if it was delivered to you personally by one of the original apostles. So either you were an original apostle, therefore miracles are okay, or you received the Holy Spirit directly from the original apostles, and then miracles are okay for you too. But after that, no more. Nobody else since that second generation of disciples has ever actually received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and there are no legitimate miracles through any of God's people after that generation of disciples. This is how the argument goes. And again, you might be sitting there thinking, wow, that's kind of a stretch. But again, a lot of people believe this. So, uh, again, I look at a couple of verses to see what I think. Does that hold any water? Or maybe a better way to put it is, does that argument seem to contradict Scripture? Right? Because maybe that's the most important thing. Right? If I'm putting forth an argument, if I'm telling you that God wants every single person on the planet healed, can I support that with Scripture? Do I have verses? Is that what we see in the Word of God? So what about this? Well, let's look first at Matthew 3.11. This is a very, very interesting passage. And I will be, I believe, teaching later this semester on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. But you're going to get one of the verses now. This is from John the Baptist. This is before the ministry of Jesus even started. This is when John the Baptist is out there and he's got the multitudes coming to him to be baptized. And listen to what he says. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. 
so much greater that I am not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's a fascinating statement because what I hear John the Baptist saying is, is Jesus wants to baptize all of you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Not just a small group of you. This wasn't just the apostles. This wasn't even just Jews. This was some group that we don't even know who all was there. Some unknown large group of people. John the Baptist is saying, Jesus wants all of you baptized in the Holy Spirit. So it's a really tough to take that statement and understand that statement, but then suggest that it's only in fact a relatively small or limited group that should receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think that would be a direct contradiction. But now let's look at Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. This is the conversion of Paul, very famous and fascinating passage. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias, Yes, Lord, he replied. We're skipping some verses for the sake of time. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is when Paul, he was called Saul, changed his name to Paul. This is when he received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. How on earth did Ananias get the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I don't know. Ananias, this, there's three Ananiases uh, mentioned in the book of Acts. This is the only time this guy shows up. We don't know what relationship he had to the rest of the apostles. We have no understanding of how the baptism of the Holy Spirit made its way to Syria. We don't know any of that. How did he get the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And even then, how did he get it in such a way that he could then, not being an original apostle, he then could transfer it by the laying on of hands to Paul? I don't know. I don't have answers for that. But what I'm saying is, this is a direct biblical contradiction for the proposition that there is no baptism of the Holy Spirit without the ministry of one of the first apostles. This would be a break in that line. So you see, while those arguments against healing are widely held, and I'm not saying that we can maybe slam the door shut. I'm saying, can't I'm a lawyer. I think they're pretty weak. I don't think they're very good. And I don't think I need to go crazy and pull out all sorts of historical information to show you that they're pretty weak. And when I look at the weight of the hundreds of verses about Jehovah Rapha and the unbroken statement that God wants everybody healed, when I put that on this side of the scales, and I put these super weak arguments against healing over here, I mean, there's no comparison. But that's what we're here to do. We're here to learn. We're here to get settled in our own hearts. So now let's go on to the next one. Maybe, maybe the most difficult one, Paul's thorn in the flesh. And let me just say that I don't think that this is necessarily an argument that people use to attack healing um, broadly. They don't use this argument to say God doesn't want anybody healed. But unfortunately, they'll use this argument to say God doesn't want you healed. That this... 
cancer, this significant injury, this heart disease, this whatever. This is in fact a thorn in the flesh that God has sent you to bless you. Or something like that. That's the argument here. That God wants you to have this thorn in the flesh. God wants you to be sick. God wants you to have this somehow for your good. So let's look at it. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Let me just say, we're going to look at some Greek words here. And this is Paul speaking. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So let's just establish one thing very quickly. What was the thorn in the flesh? We don't know precisely. But we do know that Paul said it was a messenger of Satan. And the word messenger in the Greek is angelos. It was one of Satan's angels or a fallen angel or a demonic spirit. That's what it was. Satan dispatched a demonic spirit, an unclean spirit, to buffet or attack Paul. That's what the thorn in the flesh was. Very clear right from the word of God. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 9. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, of all the words in that sentence, I find strength to be the most interesting, because in the Greek, that word strength is dunamis. And that is the word that is most commonly translated miracle or miraculous power. And that word is used over a hundred times in the Bible. And only seven, I believe your notes say six, but only seven is it translated strength. The rest of the time, the vast majority of the time, it is referring to a miracle or miraculous power. So notice Jesus says to Paul, my strength is made perfect in weakness, or my dunamis is made perfect in weakness. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't really know what that means. So what are we going to do? We're going to look at the Word of God. We're going to look to see if there are any other times in the Word of God where dunamis has encountered a weakness. And we're going to use that to understand what he means when he says my dunamis is made perfect or completed or brought to its full expression in weakness. So what happens when dunamis encounters a weakness? Mark 5, 29 through 30. This is the woman with the issue of blood that we probably all remember. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that Dunamis had gone out of him. So what did the Dunamis do to her blood issue? It healed him. Luke 4.36, talking about Jesus. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and dunamis, he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. What does dunamis do when it encounters an unclean spirit? It drives it out. 
Next, Luke 5.17, And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the dunamis of the Lord was present to heal them. Now, if you know the story, you know they didn't partake. That it was available, but not automatic, and they didn't receive. But the dunamis was present to heal. We'll give Gil the pass. The dunamis was present in Jesus to heal. Luke 6, 19. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went dunamis out of him and healed them all. Look at what dunamis does when it encounters a weakness, when it encounters a demon, when it encounters a sickness. How is dunamis made perfect in every one of these circumstances? It heals, it restores, it delivers, it drives out. Acts 1.8 But you shall receive dunamis after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The dunamis is the miracle working power of God that we receive with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts 19.11-12 Very interesting. And God wrought special Dunamis by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and evil spirits went out of them. Guys, there was so much dunamis in Paul that his clothing was getting infected with it. And isn't that fascinating? Because we remember in the Old Testament when there was a leper, that leprosy could be passed into a garment that was worn and the garment would be unclean. But now in the New Testament, with the dunamis power of God, that dunamis can go out of your body and into your clothing and heal other people. That's what the dunamis does. That's how the dunamis is made perfect. You see, Jesus wasn't saying, Paul, just suck it up. Paul, grin and bear. He was saying, you have my dunamis. You have my miraculous power. And you need to use it. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul continues, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ, same word dunamis, but they're translating it power this time, that the power or dynamis of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Let's look at a few words here. The word glory there means boast. He's boasting in these infirmities. Notice the word infirmities is the same word from Matthew 8 when it says Jesus bore our infirmities. So we must conclude reasonably, in an intellectually honest manner, that yes, Paul suffered sickness from time to time. He got attacked with an infirmity. Notice at the end he says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. Very interestingly, that is the word dunados, which means mighty or strong with miraculous power. They come from the same root word where we get dunas. It's strength with the miraculous power. And you know, he says, 
I take pleasure in these negative things that come upon me for Christ's sake. For when I am weak or when these things would come upon me and attack me and cause me to be weak, the miraculous dunamis of God is there and I become mighty with His miraculous power. That's what I believe Paul's saying. And let me point out something because I think this is really fascinating. 1 Corinthians 2, 7-8. Remember, the Satan's the god of this world, the ruler of this period of time. Know the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though He made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. So think of this for a second. The devil, doing what he can to influence people in that time, orchestrated the death of Jesus. Now this was all God's plan, but the devil didn't know. In fact, he had no idea. But if he had known how bad it was going to be for him, he would not have killed Jesus. You see, he didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't realize that in just a few days, the Holy Spirit of God was going to be released from heaven and filled with the dunamis power of God every single one of Jesus' disciples. You see, that's what happened. I would submit to you that in the history of the devil's engagement with humanity, he has never been more scared or more enraged than at this time. Because all of a sudden, where he was dealing with one Christ, now he's dealing with hundreds of Christians and thousands are being added right before his very eyes. They are everywhere. So much so that the Bible says they were literally changing the world in real time. If he had known what was going to happen, where he was going to start getting plundered, on a daily basis, with souls literally ripped from his dominion and brought to the kingdom of God, he would never have killed Jesus. He was enraged. We can't even fathom what was going to. And I believe that the entire army of hell was focused against the early church. There is every reason to believe that the early church, the first disciples and the apostles, were going through a spiritual warfare, the likes of which we cannot even fathom. There weren't that many Christians, relatively speaking. And all the demons, he had the entire army of hell attacking them. Paul, other than Jesus himself, Paul went, did more for the gospel, spreading the gospel, writing the word of God, than most likely any human who has ever lived. We can't even fathom the spiritual warfare that he was going through. It is no surprise that he was being attacked. It is no surprise that he was suffering infirmities. It is no surprise. You know, another argument against healing is, well, what about some of the other disciples where the Bible says they got sick? No surprise. Because we know from Jesus' ministry that it was quite common for an unclean spirit to manifest in a sickness, in an epilepsy, in all sorts of different... Remember the woman who was bowed over? She had a spirit of infirmity. Right? Those demon spirits were manifesting in sickness and infirmities all the time. No surprise, because they were 
fighting against the early church in ways that we can't even imagine. See, that's what Paul was going through. And that's how Paul, with the dunamis that was constantly available to him, that was always there, Jesus reminding him, my dunamis is ready and right there to be made perfect in this situation. So no matter whether he was stoned, which he was, whether he was beaten, which he was many times, whether he was shipwrecked, starving, sick, no matter what the devil tried to do to him, the dunamis was there to raise him up and continue the most important ministry that the world has ever seen after Jesus. That's how the dunamis showed up. So you say to me, and I'll end with this. Okay, Byron, nice, but I'm not convinced. I still think, I still think maybe God has this thorn for me. Maybe God's, He's got the thorn, but He doesn't have the dunamis. He doesn't have Jehovah Rapha doesn't want that for me. He wants me to grin and bear and deal with this thing. And let's say you're going through that, and you still have a vibrant relationship with God. You know what I say honestly? God bless you. I love you. I'm not here to argue with you. I'm not here to fight with you. I'm just doing my best to tell you. But let me say this. That argument, which many people hold, can only go so far. Because even if God wants you sick, He does not want you dead. And there is no biblical argument that God wants you to die or will be glorified in any way from your death by a sickness or disease. And yes, I I agree. There are martyrs. There are people that are killed by unbelievers and absolutely their death brings glory to God. But that is not true for death by sickness and disease. So, and there is no biblical argument otherwise. So what I would say to those folks that believe that the thorn in the flesh is a gift of God or something God wants them to have, I say, okay, I'm not going to argue with it anymore. However, the moment the diagnosis turns terminal, the moment there's any chance that you might die, that argument's over. You've borne up long enough and God does not want you to die. And now it's time to receive the healing power of God and get here. My friends, I know that these are complicated and controversial matters, but I hope that taking an honest look at the Word of God and these arguments and some of the verses that would oppose them helps strengthen your faith. Because the arguments for healing are profound, numerable, strong, clear, obvious, overwhelming. Jehovah Rapha has always been a healer. He will always be a healer. And His healing power is available for everyone. And next week, we're going to look very mechanically at how the healing power of God can flow into your physical body. So tonight, you know, uh, last couple of weeks, we've had awesome, awesome teachings on our identity from Pastor Dale. I, I wish that he recorded them. You need to start recording, Pastor Dale, because they, they've been phenomenal. I've been challenged. I've been blessed. But we had questions at the end of both of those times. So this week we really want to have a time of prayer. Uh, obviously, if you have a, a sickness, 
physical thing going on. Absolutely. This is your time to receive prayer. But if there's anything else that you want prayer for, if it's a family situation, a financial situation, whatever it might be, you know, we, we really try to have a very open and family-loving atmosphere here at, at Prayer and Healing. So please feel free to bring it in. You're only going to receive love and encouragement at our tables. So just, you know, table leaders, kind of identify yourselves if there's anybody at your table that you might, might not know. And then, um, you know, just take a moment within yourselves. And, and I would just encourage you to be open if there's something you want prayer. And for the table leaders... The only encouragement I give the table leaders is, is let's remember a lot of the things that, that we've really learned, especially through Rasan's teachings over our time. Because the Holy Spirit, He wants to bring a word of wisdom. He wants to bring a word of knowledge. He wants to guide you in prayer. He wants to give you the words. He wants to show us what's going on and really guide our prayers. And for the table leaders, I would just, just lean in. Pay attention to what the Holy Spirit wants you to do in prayer tonight. Guys, thank you. I love you. God bless you.